Sports Ethos New York Nick Podcast. Andre Gallagher. We talked about it last episode. Obi is gone. Nick Nation is beside itself. You guys make it really hard to spend any time on Twitter because some of you guys just aren't real. It's like you have you have Nick fans who are just you know casual fans and maybe emotional fans, typical type fans, and then you have Nick fans that purposely talk about the Knicks negatively for clicks. And there's so many of you that are just dupes. You you follow behind everything these people say. And when when a poster only has negative things to say about one of the better teams in the league last year, let's be honest, second round playoff team, when they only have negative things to say, they're probably not real. They're probably not giving you real opinions. It's Knicks for clicks. Those of you not familiar with the term, it's basically the media started this thing the last 20 years or so with the uh, onset of social media of just reporting Nick rumors and negative Nick stories, negative Nick takes is basically what you see Stephen A. Smith do all the time, performative, just to engage Nick fans on social media because they're dupes. They fall for it every time. Nick rumors, they're all over it. They respond to Nick rumors like it's a real thing. Like it happened. And you see this all summer long, all off season, but every name that comes up, Harden, Paul George, it's it's the front office is being criticized and they didn't even do the move yet. You guys can't be real, but back to Obi Toppin. I don't care what you think Obi Toppin could be. He wasn't going to be him here. He wasn't. You saw Rui Hachimura traded last year with two second for two second round draft picks. You saw Duarte trade traded for two second round draft picks. It's the same. It's the same stuff. But then you find out that the picks that they got weren't great picks. The lesser of pick swaps, a Washington pick swap, the lesser of the two. Like, how often do you even see people paying attention? to the level of second-round draft pick that they get in the deal. Most people aren't even paying attention to it. You guys are trending on Twitter with it, saying the front office got duped. <laughs> if, there was going, if there was more available for Obi Toppin, they would have gotten it. This wasn't a knee-jerk trade. They traded Obi Toppin during trade season. If they were going to get more for him, they would have gotten it. Stop it. Stop it. The fact that the Knicks did not want to take back salary in a day and age where the salary cap is basically prohibitive now with the new CBA for you going above that second apron into that penalty situation. Teams are desperately trying to avoid it. And the Knicks made a trade where they didn't take salary back. You don't think there's a penalty for that? You don't think the Pacers offered them a little bit less because They're not sending salary back in that deal? Come on. On top of the fact that you're seeing other players in Obi's situation where they haven't exactly distinguished themselves and their payday is coming up, you're seeing them trade for second-round draft picks too. Like, what? What? But that's not to let the Knicks off the hook. But I think I said it in the last episode. The Knicks took an L on this Obi trade. But the loss, the mistake, was two, three years ago. 
the mistake wasn't now. Forget drafting Obi to begin with and passing on better players. Forget that for a second. It happens in every draft. They 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 made that mistake, quote unquote. Mistake. Fine. Talked about it ad nauseum. They drafted Obi Toppin not knowing that Randall was about to have an all NBA season. That happened. You can't blame them for for Julius Randle having the best season of his career. Then they turned around and gave Julius Randle a contract extension. Once they did that, they're basically saying, Obi, you don't have a future at the power forward position here. Where the Knicks front office screwed up, and they did a lot of screwing up. Around that time. After that first season, they did a lot of screwing up. They screwed up with Fournier. They screwed up with Kemba. I don't blame them for giving Julius that contract. A lot of people said they shouldn't have gave it to him. Whatever. I'm not getting into that debate right now. They signed the contract, but they told Obi at the time, not literally, you're telling him your your future is not at this position. Unless they signed Julius to that contract with the express purpose of trading him, which is not consistent with all the other reporting that you've seen around Julius Randle and the Knicks. The Knicks have have offered Julius Randle reportedly for a trade here and there, but they have not shopped Julius Randle. Now, after the second season, when Julius was trashed, they did shop him, but his value had tanked by then. There was nothing that they could get at that point in time. But... They didn't shop him after they signed that con- he signed that contract. They shopped him after he had a terrible season. And when he had a good season, his last season, teams were saying the Knicks were turning people away at the trade deadline when they asked about Julius Randle. So there was no grandiose plan when they signed Julius to that contract to trade him. They thought Obi was going to be a star in his role and eat into Julius's minutes a little bit and be just an outstanding player off the bench and playing 20, 22 minutes a game. They thought that maybe Tibbs would play small and Obi would play with Julius Randle and it'd be a great lineup that hasn't proven to be effective. It definitely didn't happen very often. They thought that Obi would play himself into the lineup. They thought he would explode on the scene, earn minutes. Next week, playing small with Julius Randle on the floor. They thought maybe, I'm guessing, they thought maybe he would even play at the, at the three position. Because he was going to be so good. It never happened. I don't care what none of you Nick fans think. Obi playing well here and there when Julius Randle wasn't around. That's not enough. He had to be a star in his role, and he wasn't. It was inconsistent. And I love Obi Toppin. I love what you got from him, but what you got from him was inconsistent. If he wasn't hitting outside shots, you weren't getting anything out of him. If he wasn't taking off after um, a shot and getting a run out, you weren't getting much out of him. He's dunked on maybe two, three people this whole time he was here. You didn't see him driving the ball, getting past the second level and finishing at the rim. You didn't see it. You didn't see the professional shots that you see from guys who are learning how to play NBA basketball. When the three-pointer isn't there, they put the ball on the floor and they find the floater. They find the pull-up. 
they 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 attract the second defender and make the nice pass. You didn't see that from him consistently, even though he was good at kicking the ball out to the three point line. You didn't see him attacking, finishing through contact, and one. You didn't see any of that. He hit some threes, ran out, hit some dunks, got some dunks. Effort plays du jour. But you did and you did see some improvement and some growth from his rookie year, but not enough that you can say, okay, when he is playing the backup position, he is showing that he needs to be on the floor more. He's gonna be solid in his rotations. He you know, Obi always had gave great effort. Not gonna criticize him. But he wasn't always in good position defensively. Sometimes he was just running around like a chicken with his head cut off and not in the right places. Sometimes he would be in the right defensive rotation, but didn't provide any defensive resistance. It was almost like he was there, but not there, just not strong enough. His effort was always there, but he wasn't always solid. He didn't always box out properly. He didn't always rotate properly. Before you say, well, neither Julius Randle. Yeah, I agree with you. But Julius Randle is giving you 25 points a game and 10 rebounds. He's doing something that only the elite power forwards in the league are doing. Obi's not even doing what guys who are making minimum, minimum contracts are doing sometimes. With all of P.J. Tucker's troubles and him aging, you think a team trying to win a championship would rather have P.J. Tucker at backup point of power forward or Obi Toppin? They want Obi Toppin maybe because of his potential, but if they're trying to win a championship, they're not trying to roll Obi Toppin out there. You don't know what you're going to get. He wasn't a star in his role. He wasn't, he was professional. I'm not saying he wasn't a professional, but he wasn't playing like a professional NBA basketball player. He was playing like a talented NBA basketball player. A guy with potential to be good. That's how he was playing. He wasn't playing like a guy who knew exactly what he needed to do and how to do it every time down court. He didn't play like a guy that you can count on to give you everything that you needed. You can count on him doing the things that he was good at. He's good at relocating. He was good at effort plays. He was good at taking open shots when he got them. He was good at running out. But all the other things that you need to be good at, he wasn't good at. So I think the Knicks came into, once they gave Julius that contract, they sold themselves a bill of goods. They told themselves that Obi was going to play himself into the lineup and his talent was going to keep growing. He's going to start realizing that potential. He's going to work his way up to 20, 25 minutes a game some way, somehow. And it just never happened. And now you get to Tibbs. Tibbs does take some of the fall for that. I understand why Tibbs didn't want to play the small lineup. Julius Randle is terrible at the five position. He's terrible at guarding the uh, in drop coverage as a center. He's terrible. He doesn't contest shots at the rim very well. And now you have Obi and his defensive deficiencies. I understand why he didn't want uh, those guys to play small ball. I think he should have done it more. It also meant that, oh, that uh, Hartenstein was going to be on the floor. And Hartenstein had a good season. So why would you not want him out there? But I do blame Tibbs for not finding time for OB at the small forward position. And before you say, well, if he can't guard anybody, why would you play small forward? Because he can't guard anybody. And, and let's be clear. 
Obi was not a great defensive player, but he wasn't as bad as people make him sound. He was he was around. He was around. Okay, his effort was there. It's just that he wasn't stopping anyone. Sometimes just being around sometimes could be good enough. Being in front of someone is good enough. It wasn't like he was always getting torched off the dribble, always getting torched on the contest. It happened. But I don't think that, I think it's unfair to say that Obi was, you know, like one of these guys, like a Christian Wood who doesn't play any defense at all. He wasn't like that. But the three position and the four position uh, on a lot of nights, those guys are interchangeable. And the guy who's playing four can sometimes play three. And the guy playing three can sometimes play four. The Knicks should have, especially when R.J. Barrett got hurt, especially before Josh Hart got here, when they kind of needed another wing to play that backup three position, they should have played him there a couple minutes just to see what it looked like. Against certain matchups, you wouldn't, wouldn't have even noticed him defensively because whatever mistakes he was making at the four, he would have been making it at the three, too. And unless that three was doing heavy screen and roll, you probably wouldn't have even noticed the difference. And I think that's where Obi could have found more minutes. And I think that's where Obi maybe could have stood out a little bit more. So I do put a little bit of heat on Tibbs. And not to mention, when Julius didn't play well, Tibbs, Tibbs didn't go to Obi the way he should have. At the same time, Obi didn't play well either. Look at his shooting numbers that, that year. Not, not this past season, but the season before. When Randall wasn't playing well, it wasn't like Obi was playing well. It wasn't like Obi was lighting it up. But Obi should have been playing because Randall was playing so poorly. And he didn't play him. So there's no question the Knicks screwed this up. Generally speaking, from an organizational standpoint, they screwed this up from drafting him. Uh, you could say that's an L, just off, just off the cuff. That was an L. Once you gave Randall a contract... What your hopes and aspirations for OB were was completely misguided. That's an L. Not moving off of OB at least before this last season was also an L. Because why I think I think maybe the Knicks thought Randall would find a market and then maybe they can move Randall and then OB could step in. But Randall played well and, and they doubled down on Randall. I told you what they were telling teams at the deadline. So there was just no real long-term plan that made sense for Obi here. And the organization has to take an L. They take an L for that. You give Tibbs a little bit of an L. I know a lot of you want to give him a bigger L, but listen, I don't think you want to tell me that Obi Toppin showed himself to be an all-star player because he hasn't. You can tell me you believe that he will be okay, but he hasn't shown it. Don't tell me about the 30-point games he had here and there when Randall wasn't playing because nobody was checking for him. And if you watch those games... Most of those games were runouts, offensive rebounds, alley-oops, and open threes. Okay? And it was just that he played so many minutes that things accumulated. <laughs> and he was also playing teams that weren't playing very hard. At least some, some of those teams towards the end of the season. I remember that Toronto game. That Toronto game, he played very, very well. Toronto was trying to win. They were missing a couple of players, but they were trying to win. They had enough players out there to stop Obi Toppin, and they didn't. So it's not it's not all tossed out in the trash. But when the Knicks needed Obi Toppin in game one against Miami, he didn't necessarily light it up. You didn't see no 30-point games that night. And I still think he's unfairly criticized for that game. But he put up no 35 points that night. Okay, he played decently. But, you know, that's when if Obi was going to be that guy, that's the time to be that guy. 
And I think that's what it comes down to. As much as you think Obi's potential was there, it wasn't, it didn't realize itself when it needed to. And this is the NBA. And that's all really spent 15 minutes talking about this. That's really all one needs to say. Whatever that potential was, was not realized enough on the court when he played. And the Knicks got themselves in a situation where they were going to get pennies on the dollar. They waited too long to trade him. And why they only get two second round draft picks, I explained that earlier. But the Knicks did not want to take that contract. You know why? Because this just this this wasn't just a trade for Obi Toppin and two second round draft picks. It was a trade for Obi Toppin, two second round draft picks, and Dante DiVincenzo. Because Dante wanted to come here, but he had other suitors. He wasn't wanting to give the Knicks any breaks. Knicks had to come up to a certain number. And getting rid of Obi and not bringing contracts back is the way you did that. So listen, you know, it's not shade to Obi. We talked about this as an L for the organization. It was an L that they made years ago. The other mistakes that they made was signing Fournier and Kemba after they had just drafted quickly in Grimes. Another complete and utter L organization, lacking organizational plan, planning. I, I will forever hate the fact that they did that in hindsight. Looking at the time, I wasn't nearly as critical, but I'm always critical when teams draft players and then sign long-term contracts for other players to put in front of them. I think they're stupid. I don't care what you're doing. I hate it. If you're going to draft a guy in the first round, if you want a veteran, fine, but you don't give him a three-year guaranteed deal like Fournier. You don't give him a two-year guaranteed deal like you did Kemba. And the things you knew you were rolling the dice with Kemba, and you knew you knew your boy Jalen Brunson was going to be uh, possibly be a free agent. Why would you give him two years? Because you had to. You desperately wanted Kemba. It was just that's where the L's are. This organization had some growing pains a couple of years ago, and they're paying the price for it. They paid the price for it with the Kemba signing, having to get rid of him to sign Brunson. They paid the price. They're still paying the price for Fournier, giving him that money and not being able to get off of him yet. Who knows? There's still a chance there. And they paid the price for rolling the dice on Obi in the lottery and not getting rid of him once you gave Randall that contract. These, these are L's. There's no question. But if you follow the whole league, then you know that these L's are not uncommon for most franchises. There are organizations that make that have made worse mistakes than this, way worse, and, and continue to do so. The Fournier signing still hasn't really burned the Knicks the way everyone thinks it has, because if they make a trade, Fournier isn't going to be a part of it. It's going to be a big part of it. But if that trade never comes, then yeah, it does. It looks like an L. Really does, but we're not there yet. Kemba L, complete L. Had to give up draft picks to get him off your book so you can sign Brunson. Just a complete fail. And they jacked up quickly when when Kemba was here, got him off to a slow start that he never recovered from. Quickly should have been the slated backup point guard that year instead of. And I understand because you didn't have a great playoffs. You maybe didn't think he was a point guard, all of that. But nah, you had Derrick Rose on the roster too. That was a mistake. But yeah, bottom line, you're going to miss Obi. I think Obi's going to have a nice season for the Pacers. Uh, the Pacers are just going to be running up and down the court, and I think he's going to 
at least earn himself maybe a $10, $12 million contract next year. At the very least, I don't think he would have gotten that contract if he stayed with the Knicks this year. I think the Knicks did him a solid. I'm be very honest with you. I think the Knicks did him a solid. You guys complaining, kicking and screaming that Obi, you know, he did Obi dirty, sending him to Indiana. Obi, him and Halliburton are friends. He's excited to play basketball and get a chance to make money. That's what he's, that's what he's excited about. And I think the Knicks did him a solid trading him when they did. And then they signed his little brother. And you can't tell me that was a coincidence. I think that was the Knicks paying for promises they probably made Obi about playing time that did not come to fruition. But that's the story on Obi. Wish him the best. Uh, I think Obi has a lot of improving to do to maximize his potential, but he definitely has an opportunity to do way more than what he did here. And I got a secret for you guys. Right here is the Knicks are already better without him. And I can hear you kicking and screaming already. They're already better without him. Dante DiVincenzo brings skill and basketball IQ to this team that Obi just did not have. Not to say that it was poor. Yeah, I could say it. But Dante's is high, along with Josh Hart and Jalen Brunson. Now, we know there's a logjam, but we'll talk about that. Who's the backup for? I don't know yet, but I will tell you this, and I've said this before about Josh Hart and R.J. Barrett playing backup power forward. Let me correct myself. R.J. Barrett and Hart on the floor at the same time. R.J. Barrett is not playing any backup four. It's Josh Hart who's the four. If those two are playing at the same time with the shooting guard on the floor, Hart is the four. That's the matchup defensively. I think 70% of the time, Josh Hart is the backup power forward. The Knicks are perfectly fine, and they're better than they were with Obi Toppin. Let's talk about it. You disagree? Tell me what Obi Toppin is doing that Josh Hart isn't doing. Leaking out? Getting fast break dunks? Because it doesn't matter if you get a fast break dunk. It only matters that you score points. And you know who led the league in in coast-to-coast transition buckets? Josh, Josh Hart. Josh Hart statistically is a better shooter than Obi. Do I believe he actually is? No. But statistically he is, so it's not that much of a drop-off. Now, any of us watching the playoffs knows that it might be a drop-off. But if you look at his history, he's not that poor of a shooter. I think he might have gotten a little bit of the yips. I'm a little concerned about that. Don't get me wrong. But Josh Hart playing backup four, you guys have been clamoring for small ball lineups the entire time Sips has been here. If Josh Hart is a backup four, and you got in the second unit, and you got a Dante or Brunson or Grimes or quickly on the floor or an RJ Barrett. That's a nice little lineup with the center. That's a nice little lineup. And most nights you're not going to get burned by having a size deficit. Now, there are going to be some nights where you are. We'll talk about that in a minute. But just to make the point, if you have any of those guys on the floor and Josh Hart is the back of four. You are a better team than you were with Obi Toppin on the floor. Obi Toppin did not play big. He's bigger, but he didn't play big. You're losing the athleticism. You're losing the flash, the speed down the court, which was incredible. You might be losing the effort, some of the effort plays, but Josh Hart has plenty of effort plays. You might be losing some of the ground that Obi covers when he does see the rotation and he runs out there and gets it. But Josh Hart knows the rotations too. He's there. 
he might be he might not have to run across the court because he's already seeing it. You know his defense is better than Obi's across the board. And Obi didn't even play big. He wasn't a strong rebounder, and Josh Hart is a better rebounder than Obi is. So tell me, what are you losing with Josh Hart at backup power forward? Just a mere size? The elevation to contest a, a big man at the rim? I'm telling you, most nights is not going to materialize as a problem. Even if they have a bigger player at the four position, they're likely not to explore that mismatch in the, in the paint because most teams don't anymore, which is maddening, including the Knicks. That's Obi used to get missed all the time when he had mismatches in the paint, and I think he was going to score on most of them if he got the ball. That's one thing he can do decently well. You telling me that the Knicks aren't better with a lineup with those guys and Josh Hart at four? Tell me. Tell me how. You're looking at potential. You're not looking at what's actually happening on the court. The only thing that Obi's going to do that Josh Hart isn't is run the wing and catch an alley-oop. There is nothing else. Nothing else. That's a better lineup. You understand that? By every measure. Now, we haven't seen it on the floor yet, but by every measure, Josh Hart is a better player than Obi Toppin. And if you don't believe that, then Obi Toppin didn't didn't need to get traded to get paid. Because Josh Hart, he's making his, well, he he opted in. We didn't talk about that before, but yeah, it was obvious. Anybody who didn't know it was going to be obvious, pay attention. He's making his $12, $13 million a year. If Obi knew he was getting that, he would stay here. Obi doesn't know if he's going to get $12, 13 million a year because he's not as good as Josh Hart. Not on the floor, he's not. Potential, sure. You want to talk about potential? Potential get people fired, though. He might be worth more than that after this season if he has a great season, but he's not worth more than that right now because he's not better than Josh Hart. So for you to think that a Josh Hart at backup power forward does not make the Knicks a better team, you're crazy. Makes him a small team, but you guys been wanting to play small forever. I think they're big enough against most teams most nights. I don't think they're big enough for the playoffs. Still a better team. Y'all focused on Obi's potential. I understand that. I do. I mean, there's disagreement there, but I understand being focused on that. But if you're focused on winning next year, you understand that as is, they're a better team with Dante. I understand that. I understand it. Hold on. Let me talk about what Hart did because I did kind of gloss over that. Hart, they was talking about Hart getting 18 to 20 million dollars a year that he was going to opt out and the Knicks were going to have to sign up for 18, 20 million dollars a year. There's a lot of talk that that's where his value is going to be 15 on the low end. So what happened? I think a couple things happened. I think the new CBA edged out a lot of guys who were looking at those 20 million dollar a year contracts. I think they were not going to be they turned out to not be as plentiful as you would have thought prior to the new CBA uh, being ratified. I think teams are looking at that second apron where the penalties are really, really stiff if you go over the cap and they're saying they can't afford to give out some of these contracts that they were giving out before. Now you're looking at some of the high end Players like Halliburton getting $260 million, that's different. I think there's going to be a little crunch on that end too. But I think I think Hart 
got squeezed a little bit, as a few other players did, looking at this new CBA. Teams looking at this new CBA. You look at Hachimura. Hachimura, after the great playoff run, there were people talking about how he was going to get $20 million a year. He got just short of that. And there was a story that came out over the weekend saying, uh, NBA executives saying that the Lakers were bidding against themselves against Hachimura, that there was no other team that was going to give him that money. So they didn't know why the Lakers gave it to him. It was almost a foregone conclusion that he was looking at that money in the, in the offs or during the playoffs. Now, let's say Hart did have more options. He clearly did the Knicks a favor. He did the Knicks a favor so they can get his buddy in there. DiVincenzo, so him, Brunson, and DiVincenzo can play together. I don't know if he would have given them a $5 million favor. So I think he has a handshake agreement. He opts in this year. He gets paid next year. But I don't think that that money was sitting around for him the way a lot of people thought it was. So it made that decision a little bit easier to make. But there's no question he has a handshake agreement going forward. And I think they'll honor it uh, no matter what kind of season he has. He might not get, if he has a bad season, he might not get quite as many dollars as he would he would get if he had a good one. But there was no reason for him to opt in at that number if he had guaranteed money and years on the table from another team. That was substantially more. I'm guessing... He had 14, maybe $15 million a year, three-year contracts laying around there, and he'd just rather stay here with Brunson and DiVincenzo and opt in to that 13, I think it's 13-9 or 12-9, I don't remember, and just ride it out with this team. Because he probably came here with a handshake agreement to, to, to stay no matter what anyway. I don't think the Knicks would have traded the first-round pick. As a matter of fact, I know they wouldn't have if they didn't have a handshake agreement from him. That he was either going to opt in, either either this was the agreement all along for him to opt in and get paid later, or it was going to be, hey, whatever the money is, we'll match it. If you get offered eighteen million, we'll get you eighteen million. One of those type of deals, because there was no way the Knicks made that trade without knowing a part was staying. NBA teams, they just don't do that. I'm not saying it never happens. It's just they're not going to trade a first-round pick for a guy that they have no clue is going to stay with the team past this year. It happens. It doesn't happen often enough to guess that with all of the ties between Villanova, the Knicks, Brunson, Hart, that they would make a deal like that. So kudos to Josh. Being a Nick through and through, either way, he definitely took a risk or taking a risk on that opt-in of not getting, you know, guaranteed money going forward. And these are uneasy times for players on Josh's level. So kudos to Josh for for sacrificing a little bit, taking a risk on the organization to bring in his boy. Now. When we were really talking about what the backup power forward situation is going to be, there was a story coming out, or came out. I think it was Mike Scotto who reported that the Knicks were going to give Isaiah Roby an opportunity. And now you guys are judging Isaiah Roby off of two summer league games. Can't make it up. 
The guy just came off an of ankle surgery. How many of you know that? There were many of you who didn't even know Isaiah Roby was on the team. Nobody who didn't know Isaiah Roby was on the team should be talking about how good Isaiah Roby's going to be playing 15 minutes a game behind Julius Randle. If you're not following your team close enough to know that they signed a guy during the playoffs, then you're not qualified to have this conversation. I'm sorry. And I'm not one who thinks you need to know every single thing about the team. Like, you know, I know guys who, you know, follow all of the players on IG and, you know, know all of their backstories. Like, I don't, you don't need to know all of that. You don't need to know all of that. You don't need to know the, all the machinations of this Nick salary cap. You don't need to know all of that stuff. But you do need to follow Nick News when something out of the ordinary happens or significant happens. And when they signed him, they signed him right before the, the playoffs. He was playoff ineligible. They signed him to a non-guaranteed deal that ran through the next season. And he was a young player that at some point had some promise. There was some significance to the story because it was like, well, why did they sign him? What's happening now? And if you don't know that, that means you're not following the team very closely and you probably don't know anything about Isaiah Roby. So don't, so stop it. You're on the, on the internet, on Twitter, ranting and raving about this guy and how he's no good and he's no Obi top and blah, blah, blah. You don't know anything about Isaiah Roby. Stop it. He plays one summer league game. Most of you don't even, don't even know that he was just cleared for basketball activity because he was injured. Had ankle surgery. Most of you don't know that. I didn't know it before that summer league game. He's only playing summer league to get himself back in basketball shape because he hasn't been playing. He wanted to play. He wanted to compete. The Knicks aren't really evaluating him based on these summer league games. I really don't think so. He has a non-guaranteed contract for next year. So everything, every time he's up on the court is an evaluation. But they're, they're not ignorant enough to say this guy has not played basketball for, for God knows how long. He was just clear for basketball activity. And we're going to judge him off a couple games. It's just that doesn't that's just not it's not fair to the player. The fans are going to do whatever fans are going to do. But as an organization, that's not really fair. And if you ask me for somebody who just stepped off of injured reserve, essentially. Just got clear for basketball activity. He looked decent. That's all he's going to be is decent. You're not looking for him to be an all star. He's a role player. He's going to be playing 15 minutes a game at best, probably 10, because you know Josh is going to play some back and power forward, regardless of the situation. You know he is, because there's too many players in the rotation at the, the one, two, and three, but Josh should not be playing some four. So you know he is. He's just there at best, matchup dependent, if he is the answer. And some of you don't realize that it's still July. You don't think the Knicks are trying to make deals? Fournier's still on the roster. You know that they're trying to trade Fournier. And if you don't know that, you definitely don't need to be taking any, any, having any conversations about the Knicks on Twitter. They are desperately trying to trade Fournier, but they're not trying to trade him and give up assets to trade him. They're trying to trade him as a, a big chunk of salary for a bigger deal. What that deal is going to be, we don't know. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Who that player is, we don't know. You know they've been interested in, in a couple of these guys that have come uh, popped up as available, Paul George included. You know that. So you know that they don't plan on having Fournier on the team, but Fournier is not even on the road, in the rotation. So they still have a lot of guys at the one, two, and three position. 
Josh Hart is destined to play some backup four. But if you know they're going to make a deal and they're trying to make a deal, then they might grab a backup four in the deal. They might make a smaller deal. I don't see that happening. I don't see any deal happening that doesn't include Fournier at this point because they're locked in to everybody that's on the roster as being a part of their rotation. And they're not going to trade a quickly, a Grimes, an RJ. They're not going to trade any of those guys for a backup power forward. They're just not going to do it. Now, they might trade... Uh, I'm not even going to get into it. I, they might trade Mitchell Robinson in combination with somebody else for uh, another, you know, another center or something along those lines, or maybe start Hartenstein. I don't know. That may that may happen. I don't think so, but that that's a possibility. But you know that they're trying to make deals. Why do you? Why are you guys so convinced that this is going to be the open day roster? I'm. I've talked about whether or not. You know what it would look like if they were, if this was opening day roster. But why do you think the Knicks are done? Some of you would were acting like the Knicks weren't going to do anything because they didn't make a trade on draft night. You guys, like, what are you doing? You guys wanted the Knicks to have a draft pick, then that means there was no Dante DiVincenzo. Some of you are okay with that. That's fine. Just know that the Knicks don't have necessarily have room in their roster for another draft pick that's a project that's not going to step on the floor and make something happen. Right away. Well, let's talk about why they don't have room in their roster. You know, let's go start with. First of all, let's let's start with something good like Daquan Jeffries, who I liked. I liked him last year when I saw him in summer league. I liked him in the G League. Uh, he has a contract that's is non guaranteed, so he's not necessarily, you know, secure in his position in the Knicks. But the way he's played in that first game, the way he played in that first game, the way he's played in the past. I think Daquan Jeffries is quietly an insurance policy for a move that they might make. Meaning, if they trade one of the young guys, Daquan, and they let's say they trade a couple of them, and they need an extra guy in the rotation at the two or three, I think Daquan, I think they're very comfortable with Daquan, Daquan Jeffries being that guy. Quiet is kept. And I like Daquan Jeffries a lot. And I'm not, and again, to like somebody doesn't mean he's an all star. He's going to be this. He's going to be. I'm saying he looks like he's a solid player. I think he's a good athlete. He's a good physical defensive player. I think he plays with physicality defensively, and I like that. He's decent enough shot to be on the floor. He has a scorer's mentality. He has a professional scorer's mentality. He knows how to use his body going to the basket. He has good second level, decent second level IQ. I like Daquan Jeffries. And when you have guys like Daquan Jeffries on the roster and you can't find room for him to play because you have other young guys and relatively young guys like Dante uh, and and uh, Josh Hart, they're relatively young. They're moving into the older, to the middle age as an NBA player. Then you know that you don't have room to play younger players, which is what I talked about before. That was the mistake of Ken Bunn Fournier, signing Fournier to three years guaranteed and signing Kemba to two years guaranteed when you just had, you had a quickly who you just drafted and you had a Grimes who you just drafted and you had Miles McBride. So why would you bring in veterans or guaranteed deals that are going to stunt the growth of these young guys, especially if you know that they were good enough to start playing like Grimes was good enough to start playing and Tibbs tried to play him until he got hurt. You don't bring in, don't bring in young players when you have veterans on guaranteed deals, when you're going to stunt their growth and waste them away for two, three years like you did with Obi 
and don't have young players on your roster and then bring in veterans to stunt their growth and block their progress, don't do that. And that's what having a draft pick this year and last year would have done. Now, can they keep playing that game? No. Because the Knicks have second-round draft picks that they've brought in here, who they've developed, who they believe in. One of those guys is Jericho Sims, who I think most of us like as a player, even though he has his shortcomings. He's, he's an NBA player. He has potential. And that brings me to Trevor Keels, who, for the life of me, I don't know why they've taken interest in him. When they drafted him in the second round last year, I was like, huh? I did some film work on him. I didn't like anything that I saw. Didn't think that he was necessarily anything the Knicks needed. And now, you know, you heard some whispers before Summer League that he had gotten taller and he looks good. And and then he plays Summer League and it's like, uh, (laughs) he doesn't look like he's a point guard. He doesn't look like he looks slow. He looks out of shape. I'm not going to put that on, on him. Sometimes people look out of shape and they're not. It just kind of becomes a fat shaming thing, and we're not going to do that. But he looks slow. Like, he looks out of shape, and he looks slow. I wish nothing but the best for that kid. And I don't want to talk too much trash about a young guy trying to make his way in the league. But I don't I don't understand what the value in Trevor Keels is. I don't, I don't see what you see in him as an organization. And I'd much rather the Knicks bring in – you know, uh, another young player and try to develop him at that spot than to have a Trevor Keels because Trevor Keels doesn't look like he's anything. He doesn't, he doesn't look worth, he doesn't look worth investing in. And what position are you trying to play him in? You have quickly, I understand the Knicks might trade quickly. All right, well, you have Miles McBride. You don't like Miles McBride, then you want to bring in another guard. There's six zillion guards out there who you could be rolling the dice on, that's not Trevor Keels. It just feels like Trevor Keels is like a favor to somebody. I don't like like Trevor Keels at all. You shouldn't be taking up a roster spot anymore. I think you move Trevor Keels out of here, fill that roster spot with a veteran, look for a guy on a veteran minimum maybe. I just can't. Actually, I think Trevor's on a two-way contract, so not necessarily. Find somebody else to give a two-way contract to. How about that? Not doing this with Trevor Keels anymore. I just don't understand. You want him to play point guard. You already got three point guards on the on the roster. Is he's not? He's no. He's no better or different in game than the other guys you have. Let me let me rephrase that. Forget Jalen Brunson. He is who he is, right? Quickly might go somewhere. You never know. McBride might go somewhere. You never know, right? But you would never take a Trevor Keels over a McBride. You've not seen anything from Trevor Trevor Keels that would have him play over McBride at the point guard position. Obviously, not this, not true for Quickly as well, right? Now, if he was like a super fast, push the ball point guard, shoot up the dribble at the three-point line guy, excellent passer, penetrator. Okay, that's a little different than what you have. None of your point guards are like that. Okay, I get it. Have that fourth guy on the roster because you don't have that guy. It's a whole different dimension if he were to ever come into the game at the point guard position or if you made a trade 
of a quickly or or McBride, you you'd have a whole nother dimension to put into the game or to develop for the future to be a, a primary backup to Jalen Brunson. He's none of those things. He's a slow plotting, just methodical type player that what you're seeing right now in college, he used to drive to the basket and he doesn't have the quickness to get by people or any kind of explosion that you would kind of need at this level. And you haven't seen any, any savvy when he's getting to the rim. You don't see, you know, deceleration, use your body, you know, draw a second defender, find a drop off pass, Euros. Like you, do, you don't see any savvy floaters. You don't see anything like that when he's going to the basket that would indicate to you that he is a, an, an above average or even an average NBA finisher in the paint. And you're not seeing any lights out shooting from the perimeter. You're not seeing anything special on the defensive end. You're not seeing anything special on the ball handling front. He looks very uncomfortable as a ball handler. It, they started press both games. They started pressing him, getting the ball out of his hands. It's just not at all what the Knicks need. So why is he here? You know, there are a lot of guys floating around out there that have more potential, visible potential than Trevor Keels does. And no, no disrespect to the young fella. And Knicks need to maybe prioritize that position on the you know, on the roster because they do now have a hole in a relative hole in their roster. If they did go into opening day with this roster, there is a hole at the four or five position. And I saw someone on Twitter say that, that um, the Knicks need a three, four, they don't need a three, four. They needed a three, four. And that's when they got Josh Hart, who was more of a two, three, but I think, I think we can all agree that he can play a little four if he needs to against most matchups or a lot of matchups, and at least in the regular season. We talked about it. The Knicks need a four or five. They need a guy, obviously, to back up OB. That's obvious. But they need a guy who can also play the small ball center position, who can play drop coverage, who can switch if necessary on high screen and roll. Uh, the guy, uh, uh, Robert Covington, and I'm not saying I've – Talked about Robert Covington before. I don't see that working out for the Knicks now. But a Robert Covington, in his at least last you saw him as a good defensive player, to me, it was perfect for what the Knicks need to back up for a position. I really believe that. Now, again, if you, you can't just add, forget Robert specifically, contract situations, et cetera, and who knows if he is actually a viable candidate at this point. I don't believe that he is uh, unless unless the Knicks were trading Fournier just to get two guys making uh, a total of about $18 million. And I think I think Covington makes a, a good chunk of that by himself. I forget if he's 12 or 15 million, but he's right around there. Uh, unless unless uh, the Clippers were trying to do that. Because Fournier would have to be in that deal. And they would have to take two players back. They might cut one. I just don't see that happening unless it's a much bigger deal, which means that the entire depth chart is going to change if it's if it's including anyone more than Fournier or or Sims. The whole depth chart has to change. 
or Miles McBride, who I don't think they would just give away, and I don't think anyone's going to give anything of value for him at this point. So I don't think Covington is a realistic possibility. But a player similar to Covington, maybe a younger player, a guy who's athletic enough to play the back of four, but also has enough physicality, uh, rim protection ability, and can can play drop coverage, can play at the front of the rim defensively as well. And can shoot the three. Don't let me forget that. He has to be able to shoot. If he can't shoot, the Knicks don't need him. Not at that position. He has to be able to shoot. He has to be a dimension that they don't have at the five position. And he has to be able to spread the four at the four position. And in in theory, that's what Isaiah Roby could be. In theory, I've described the best case Isaiah Roby, which is what you guys don't understand. Best case Isaiah Roby, he can shoot the three at an average rate at least. Can play back at four, can play back at five, and be everything I just described. That's why he's here. <laughs> That's why he's here. The question is whether or not he can actually do it at a rate consistent enough to help the, help the team. But that's what they need. They need Isaiah Roby to be the best case Isaiah Roby. Anyway, I went on and on for a while here. We're going to wrap it up. Make sure you check out sportsethos.com. Follow at sportsethos on Twitter. We're about to be on thread, so by the time we do an episode, the next episode, I'm going to have some threads accounts to follow for Sports Ethos and and myself. We're going to get ahead of the curve on that. We think Twitter is about to poop all over itself, so we're going to make sure we have a presence on that site, that app, I should say. Uh, so by the time we have another episode, we'll have that up and running. We'll see how that goes, but make sure you check out at, at ethos Nicks. until next time. <laughs> <laughs>